Okay, we've been working our way through the uh, few of the Proverbs here in Sunday School. We're going to do some more of them today. Chapter number 17. And we just kind of go through and pick at random verse here and there and talk about it. Talking about life, talking about wisdom. Good choices, life, and it's a good comment on life. It teaches us, of course, primarily teaches us that choosing God is always wise. That's the point of Proverbs. But it touches on a lot of topics that uh, sometimes we deal with and sometimes we don't. Chapter 17 now, book of Proverbs, looking at verse 1. Better a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Or we might put it this way. It's better to have uh, poverty in your house along with peace than to be full, have everything you want, and have strife. He mentions the word sacrifices, and a lot of the sacrifices that they made in the Old Testament, you go and you take an animal, sacrifice it, and they take the blood and they burn the insides of the animal on the altar, and they give it back to you. It's a, it's a Thanksgiving offering, and so you got a whole cow to eat, right? or two, three lambs. I mean, feasting is come and that's what they did but a lot of times they made this is a feast when we bring home a, a big sacrifice and we got a whole animal to eat and you understand there's no refrigeration you eat it now even some of the laws where you got to eat it today can't let it last till tomorrow so if you're set on your table great big steaks leg of lambs all there and you're mad at everybody in the house how's that going for you that don't help anything. He said, it's much better, he said, if you have peace, you got not much to eat, you got a dry morsel. You ever had a dry morsel? I have. <laughs> That's right. I have. I've had a dry morsel before. And, uh, you know, it's not much to it. And, uh, but always better to have peace. Uh, and that's an important thing. Uh, uh, Daniel, remember in the Bible, what did he eat with his three friends? They called it pulse in the Bible. He's got a few vegetables. All right, the king's uh, favorites are over there, and they got steak and eggs and and uh, leg of lamb and the whole thing, just eating the, the good. And uh, Daniel ate a bunch of vegetables, and he came out in the end better. All right, <clears throat> and you think about. Stress it produces a, a restlessness, uh, strife of restlessness. Remember uh, Nelson Rockefeller when he was a governor, and they asked him on TV, they said, of course he was a Rockefeller, he had a lot of money. They asked him, how much is enough, Mr. Governor? And his answer, I still remember this day, he said, well, a little bit more. <laughs> A little bit more. So no matter how much you have, you know, if you've got that idea, you always want just a little bit more. And so there's a, a, sometimes a restlessness that comes from having a lot 
But he says, if there's stress in the house, we want to get rid of it. And so he says, that's something you'd be careful of. Next, we're going to look at it, verse 3. The fining, fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tries the heart. Gold and silver are not, you know, you don't pull the, a gold ring out of the, out of the earth. You get uh, uh, ore, and it's got a little gold in it mixed with other materials, and so you heat them. They heat them up and separate the ore and the useless stuff from the pure gold. And uh, when they get the pure gold, then you got something that doesn't tarnish. That's why you make wedding rings out of gold, because they represent something that doesn't tarnish. So you make your wedding ring out of gold. You could make it out of something else and your finger would turn purple. You know, you don't want that. You want a wedding ring, something that doesn't tarnish. And so he says, there's a, there's a fire that you make to separate uh, the, the good from the bad. And then he says, but the Lord trieth the heart. God knows what's in our heart and God wants to separate the good from the bad in us. And so like the fire cleans out the silver, fire cleans out the gold. And there's the old story about silver. Uh, how did they know when the silver was just right? Well, they would fire it up and get it melted, and it would come to the top. And when they looked in and they could see the image like a mirror, then the silver was ready. And they always say, well, God fires the heart. God is looking, and when he can see his image in us, then we're ready. We're ready. We've reached. So God tries the hearts. God's the one that separates the 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 good and the bad, all right? Um, verse number six, down to verse number six. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of their children are their fathers. Uh, I really like this one. Grandchildren, that means, is an old man's crown. I got 10 of them. I got 10 crowns. <laughs> uh, it's all about God. He says, uh, the old man is glorified by his grandchildren. And the children are glorified by their father. It's all about God. Uh, <clears throat> a godly father raises children to be godly. So uh, the point of the verse is that uh, faith should be passed down. Faith is something that we should pass down. And when we pass it down to the third generation, the grandchildren, we say, we're, we're going, we've got a thing going here. This is good. That's something that is very important. So uh, it's a very important thing, and it needs hard work to do it, and, and, a, and a determination to do it if you're a parent. I remember I said to my mother once, I don't feel like going to church. I never said that ever again after that, not in her presence. <laughs> she said, you go whenever we go, and you'll never say that again. And I, so I didn't. To this day, I don't say I don't want to go to church. I want to go every time I get in a time to go. Let's go. Yeah, I'm in. Let's go. And so uh, parents have to 
create that atmosphere for children so that they can pass the faith down. And when you look at grandchildren that are serving God, that's good. That's good. That's the glory of being a grandfather. And when they can look at you, say the same thing, eh, we're getting it right. All right. And that's what that verse is about. Next one is verse number eight. Verse number eight. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that has it. Whithersoever it turneth, it prospers. He's talking about the power of a gift. And this goes beyond, you know, your birthday, goes beyond all those things. There is a power in a gift. It's a very powerful thing to give a gift. Uh, it, it, it's love expressed to somebody. There's goodwill in it. And so you give somebody something maybe insignificant, maybe small. But uh, uh, the love expressed turns a little pebble into a diamond. I, got a, I keep little things in my Bible. I got a little piece of paper in my Bible, and it says 143 days to Christmas. And uh, that I found on the pulpit one day, uh, written by a child. Audrey wrote it. And I thought, she's been counting, watching carefully. She's on the pulpit waiting for me. 143 days. I thought that was wonderful. I keep it in my Bible. It's still in my Bible. That was a long time ago. And so a, a gift can be a very precious thing. Now, here's the thing about a gift. Uh, who makes out best? The one who receives it or the one who gives it? What did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so the power of a gift lies in the hand of the giver. If you want to really be blessed, then you give the gift. And you say, and well, sometimes we get confused. We think, oh, I got a gift and I'm blessed. No, I, you say, I gave a gift. Now I'm blessed by the giving of the gift. So it's a powerful message in a gift. And it's a thing, don't think about it at Christmas. Well, do. Do think about it on Christmas and birthdays, but we need to think about the power of a gift, a little larger idea. What can we do to give somebody and to receive them a blessing from that? Verse number nine. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. He that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Um, Jesus said, what? Love one another as I have loved you. That's how I want you to do it. All right. And how did Jesus express love? Forgiveness, right? We all have a chance at forgiveness. And when he got nailed to that cross... He was nailed there in love. Did ever such love, the song says, and sorrow meet? Did ever thorns compose so rich a crown? Uh, he decided to give us love, forgiveness, but the, he does it better than we usually do because he also says, with my forgiveness, I will give you 
forgetfulness. All right. And that means he's not going to remember it. He's going to cover the sin, bury it, hide it, put it in the depths of the deepest sea, he says. You try to get the idea. Separate it from you as far as the east is from the west. He says, I'm going to take your sin and forgive it, and then I'm going to get rid of it. And it's gone. It's even gone, he said, from my mind. Sometimes we say, okay, I forgive, but I ain't never going to forget. All right? That are kind of our nature sometimes. Don't let me, I'm not going to forget it. Well, that's what he says here. That hiding sin, be willing to be forgetful, will draw people together. He that, he that uh, covereth transgressions seeketh love. If we hide what people do and uh, not bring it up all the time, that's good. You want to gossip about it? And uh, that's what separates people. Those things separate people. So it's a little idea about it. If you're going to do what Jesus says, forgive and forget. Cover the sin. Either we're going to cover it and pretend it didn't happen. Say, okay, we're going to forget about it. Then you're building up love. And that's how Jesus built up his love to us. Next verse is number 12. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. My brother Arnold uh, used to work for mining companies a little bit, and they would have this section in the Rockies where they were going to mine. But they had to go in there and find out if there was any ecological reason why they couldn't. And so my brother would be flown in and dropped off on some mountaintop, and he'd have to go around this area. And uh, he said, we flew over this area, and I looked at it. He said, it sure looked like grizzly bear country to me. Well, I had to prove it. So (laughs) he dropped him down, and he was walking down this mountainside, and old Grizz was coming. And he said, proof enough for me. (laughs) You never know where baby Grizz is. So he said, I'm out, I'm gone, get me out of here, there's grizzlies here, and I don't want to find myself between mama and her cubs. That's dangerous. That's dangerous, all right? Uh, But he says there's something more dangerous than that. He says, uh, rather than meet a fool in his folly, all right? The foolish man rejects God, and he heads directly towards destruction of the soul. And the bear will kill you and eat you, but he can't hurt your soul, all right? Uh, The foolish man rejects God. He's in extreme danger, all right? And if you're going to be with him and do what he does, it's very dangerous to ignore God. Don't ignore God. That's much more dangerous than being between a grizz and their cubs. It's a little bit of advice for who you keep company with. All right, verse 14. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. Uh, a bucket of water is an easy thing to tip over. When my kids were small, uh, we, my wife and I worked out this plan. 
And so we had plastic tablecloths, and we put the, our floor tipped a certain way. And so we put the kids on the high side of the table. And I sat on the low side. And when they spilled their drinks, which was at every single meal, they spilled their drinks, Dad grabbed the, grabbed the tablecloth, hold it up, and we catch it. All right, because nobody ever tipped over glass and then picked it back up and said, oh, we didn't spill nothing, right? <laughs> it's easy to spill liquid, spill water. It just goes, right? And, and in so many ways, it happens. And he said, you cut a hole in the bucket and watch how fast the water goes right out. And he says, there's something like that with anger. If you start to get angry and let it out, you can't stop it. It wants to come all out. It's like the, the glasses of whatever it was coming toward me. They never picked the glass up with something left in it. I was always sitting in my lap. All right? And so uh, that's the way liquids are. He says if someone lets out water, it just pours out. So he says leave off contention. If you think you're going to be angry and express it just a little to get your point across, it's coming all out. It ain't going to catch any in the glass. It's going to fall over and come pouring out. And so he says, avoid the issue altogether. He says, don't get in trouble. The beginning of strikes one let it, therefore leave it off before it be meddled with. And a lot of times what people do in relationships is they poke you. <laughs> right? Hey, hey. Hey. Hey, keep poking, and you're going to let it out, all right? Leave it be. Leave it alone. Don't make it so there's a hole in the bucket. You're going to pour, and, and so uh, stop, stop. No, leave it alone. Don't poke at it. Don't keep bringing it up. Leave it alone. Let it be, and you'll be better off. That's very good, wise advice. Verse 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Uh, there's a friendship. And friendship, uh, even if you have a disagreement with a friend, there's no reason to change the friendship. Right? You can still have a disagreement with somebody. Uh, and, and separation doesn't really influence friendship. I meet people I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm still friends. It didn't change. And so that true friendship, not even death, can change true, true friendship. You're friends with somebody, and they die. It didn't change it at all. And so the idea is Jesus said, what? I, to his disciples, I have called you friends. That's a very valuable Jesus said, I've called you friends. And he says that to us, of course. What do we just sing? What a friend we have in Jesus. All right, and that's a very valuable thing. And so uh, if you're in trouble, I'm with you. I'm with you. you, know, you can guarantee I'm with you if you're in trouble. Friends are made for all sorts of times, all sorts of difficulties. A friend loves at all times. And particularly, a brother is born for adversity when things get hard. They say, don't worry, I am with you. 
That's a very valuable thing in life to have good friends. Verse 22. A merry heart doth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dry the bones. It's good to laugh. It's good to laugh. Uh, we need to enjoy life. God never intended people to be miserable. He didn't say, I'm going to create this race and I hope they're miserable from now on. Come on, that's not God. God doesn't do that. He doesn't intend people to be miserable. And so we need to laugh and we need to laugh loud. Uh, I have a son who can laugh louder than anybody I know. And at our house the last couple days, I hear laughing from three rooms over. I can always hear Levi laughing above the crowd. And I like that. I want to hear that. And you know, you can laugh. Don't take yourself so seriously. You're not all that big of a deal. Don't take yourself so seriously. Let's laugh a little and do that. And you know who I laugh with a lot? I laugh with God. Him and I laugh quite a bit. I'll think of something I'm doing, I'm saying... What am I doing that for? I got it. I got that one. Did you get that? Yeah, he got it too. All right. You can laugh with God. He's fine with that. All right. Situation comes up. You can laugh and pray. You can laugh and pray. And I laugh at myself. He says a broken spirit, if you define it, a broken spirit, there's been some great disappointment in life. Something has come and severely disappointed you. And so there's a loss of drive and energy because of that. He says, a merry heart does good like a medicine. You laugh, you feel better. It's like taking aspirin, okay? But a broken spirit drieth the bones. This great disappointment creates a, a drain on your energy and therefore a drain on your drive. And you eventually get the, where it's no ability to accomplish anything. So laughter is good medicine, he says. If you want to keep living life and positively, you need to make sure you laugh. Verse 24, wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the end of the earth. It's about focus. It's about focus. Um, uh, would you live well? Would you not waste your life? If you understand life, you're always going to be focused on wisdom. That's a very driving force. It was for me in my life. Uh, What are you going to do? What are you going to do to not waste life? And when I reached the age of 33, that really was bugging me. And this church was started when I was 33 years old. And somebody asked me, how come you're doing this? I said, well, I'm 33. And they laughed and laughed. Said, ah, that's a pretty funny joke. I said, it ain't a funny joke at all. Jesus at 33 saved the whole world. I'm 33. I ain't way behind. I don't want to waste life. So I need to catch up a little. And, and that's important. The very thing. He says, a foolish man, he doesn't have any focus. He looks at everything. He's not focused on uh, doing what's right in life. He's focused on everything. 
as if everything around you is worthy of your attention. When I turn on the TV, you think there's a lot of things I don't even need to think about. Politics being a major one. I don't need that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm certainly not going to focus on all of that stuff. I got better things to think about. That's one way that this verse teaches us to be wise. Verse 27. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. He that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Uh, if you're always giving advice, if you've always got an idea for somebody, that's usually proof that you have a lack of knowledge. <laughs> uh, to understand truth, he says, you need to say less. Less comes out, more you comprehend. All right? And there's an old saying that I like to think about all the time. Brevity is the soul of wit. If you're thinking sharp, you don't need uh, volumes coming out of your mouth. You just need to say the right thing. And brevity shows that you're thinking those things. Uh, what's a good spirit? You know, define it. Calm, not easily provoked, no hasty conclusions, and no quick responses. That's the way we think. So a fool, he says, may not say much. And he says, you might think he's wise. Just because he doesn't talk doesn't necessarily mean he's wise. But the ability to control your mouth and limit your responses, that is proof of wisdom. All right? <clears throat> so what do we say? How do we know we're wise? The knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if we're going to know God and get to know him, and we're on the right track towards wisdom, and that will be something, as you know God better, you'll hang, mm, mm, don't say it. Learn to control your responses. All right? That's a very good piece of advice. Okay? Thank you. We'll do some more. Thank you. Thank you. We'll do some more next week.